0: Hello and welcome to this episode of the LDS Mission Cast, the podcast to educate and inspire in the great cause of missionary work. I'm your host, Nick Galletti, and this week's episode is part two of our series with Mark Minor and our focus on the addiction recovery program as established through and run by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints this episode is something that you can listen to without having to listen to part one however if you go back and you listen to part one as a precursor or a prerequisite if you will to this episode i feel you'll get a lot more out of this experience but here in part two we continue our discussion with mark minor who served and continues to serve as a 12-step missionary in the addiction recovery program of the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints and in this particular episode We will spend less time talking about his personal narrative, his story and experiences with addiction, and more with his experience and leadership in the addiction recovery program, and how we as ministers and as missionaries might be able to use this program in our missionary and ministering efforts. This is one of the parts of the church that, again, may be dealing with some raw subject matter, but at the same time, there are some tender and sweet moments, some beautiful stories of the atonement and its infinite power that have come out of the 12 step or addiction recovery program. And so we want to not only educate and inspire on this particular thing, but we want you to know how, if you were to walk into a meeting, how would you start? How would you be in that meeting? And so there's a lot of practical advice and things that we go over. So please stay tuned for this episode, which is part two of our interview and discussion with Mark Miner. You know, we've, we've now had your story. That setting is so important, I think, when you're talking now about, let's get into the practical side of this. For those that are preparing to serve missions are serving a mission or have come home when you're ministering to one another there are misconceptions about this addiction recovery program which we'll call ARP there are just questions that, that people sure. have on how this can work so let's let's go through this a little piece at a time okay the addiction recovery program of the church is based on if not licensed version of the 12step program but it's been kind of shall we say, Mormonized a little bit, right? So, in what ways is the LDS Addiction Recovery Program different than what they might find in a regular 12-step program? There is really, really only two particular
1: differences, whereas AA calls God either God or a higher power. We refer to God as Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ. And then, In the fifth step, in which you read your inventory, your moral inventory, to God, another person, which is the same in both programs, the LDS says, and to your priesthood authority. Okay. So we use a bishop or a stake president or a branch president as is needed. But aside from that, there are basically no um, functional differences.
0: Now, one of the things is that there is an addiction recovery guide. Yes. And in fact, I think it's available through the Gospel Library app. Gospel Library. And um, so people can go and download that. There's audio versions of the chapters, which, you know, for some people maybe driving. That's a good way to digest it. But the questions that maybe a lot of people will have regarding this program have to do with who can go.
1: So anyone 18 and older can go. Okay. You do not have to be an alcoholic or an addict or a codependent or a pornography addict, if you want to go just to find out if it has anything for you, all they'll ask is your first name. You don't have to share anything more. You don't even have to give them the correct first name. They just want to know what you want to be
0: called when you're in the meeting. So if you walk in the door to an LDS addiction recovery program, is it going to be set in a circle or does it—, is it- Generally held in chapels, okay. um,
1: sometimes in seminary rooms. Most of the time we try to sit in circles so we can face each other. Uh, you do not have to share um, beyond your first name and you can give an alias and they they do have a role that they send around they only need first names and they do that just for tracking pur- purposes to know how to administer the program to see if meetings need we need more or less meetings and more or less missionaries to staff the meetings and you can it's perfectly fine to listen and people come for every kind of a problem under the sun i've seen people come with all of the typical addictions uh Sex addictions of various types, drugs of every type, tobacco, alcohol, of course, eating disorders of multiple types. Uh, But I've seen people come for gambling addictions, for spending addictions, for anger management problems. One guy came and told us he was a rageaholic. And that fellow has now become a facilitator in the group because he's, uh, he's learned to handle his anger through the atonement. People come for anything that basically separates them from the God of their understanding because this is a program in which they're able to access the atonement and the God of their understanding. For whatever character, weakness, or defect they may have, if they'll be honest about it and say, okay, God, I want your help, this can be the vehicle by which they get that help.
0: And this is pretty relevant to anybody serving a mission not just let's not speak for a moment for their own personal needs but let's talk about the people they are teaching that they're ministering to so uh, I
1: don't know what the numbers are worldwide but I would I would say it's safely it's safe to guess that at least 50 percent of the people that are missionaries encounter anywhere in the world are going to have some problems, right? I mean, some serious problems. It can be behavioral problems. It can be depression. But drugs, alcohol, and sex problems are endemic throughout the earth.
0: And sex problems can include pornography.
1: Yeah, pornography, um, any number of other acting out type things. But pornography is probably the biggest
0: worldwide addiction there is. So over half of the missionary, or half of the people that a missionary is going to encounter, they, they probably should have in the back of their head, or is this where we're going? Maybe we should use the ARP program as a vehicle. Absolutely.
1: This is one of the biggest tools or arrows in the quiver of any missionary to say, look, if you're dealing with, you're trying to quit smoking, you're trying to quit coffee. Yeah, you guys are having some moral issues. Okay. There's a program that can help you with it. And it's not going to shame you into it. You're going to get God's help with it. You're going to get the best help of all to help you get on the straight and narrow that will work for you to help change your life so you can live true to gospel standards. What missionary would not want to have this as a tool if he's got a struggling investigator or a new member Any bishop would need it. Any uh, elders quorum president or Relief Society president would would love to have these tools and say, look, we have groups in this area. Or even if we don't have groups, we have written material and we have online groups. There's worldwide online groups that people can access. They even have groups in Mongolia of all places. So if you can find a group in Mongolia to deal (laughs) with alcohol, I think that's pretty wonderful that the Lord wants this, this tool. To come closer to him, to be available to every missionary who goes out to serve.
0: Is there any rules that you know of? And you've been doing this a long time, as you said, over 12 years. Are there any prescribed rules within any missions that you know of where a missionary is counseled whether or not they should go with their okay. investigator?
1: Generally, missionaries are not advised to go to the meetings themselves. They are advised to get someone from the local ward or branch or stake to accompany someone to a meeting. Often if they will approach the bishop or the stake president or the mission president, they can put feelers out in the community and say which of your which of your trusted members attend these groups and who would be willing to sponsor someone at a meeting or you know just be their ride to a meeting. We have found the greatest success when someone comes to meeting with another member, uh, especially with an active participating member. But I, can, I can't I can even count how many times because it's literally in the hundreds that we've had bishops, Relief Society presidency members, or Elders Quorum presidency members come to the first meeting or two or three with a ward member who's struggling Yeah, and just to have a friend there. And they don't have to say anything. They don't even have to say why they're there. Oftentimes, they'll tell us before or after.
0: And that's appropriate, though, to say, I'm the elders quorum president, and and, you're supporting this person. That's okay?
1: Well, well, what they'll typically say, they'll tell the missionaries that, but we'll just tell them in the meeting, just say, I'm Joe, and I'm here with Sam. Or I'm Joaquin, and I'm here with Jose. and. They, they don't even have to know. We just know that people bring their friends to meetings a lot. And whether they have a problem themselves or it's their friend that has the problem or they both have a problem, we're just grateful that they're there. And they will get a gospel message centric to the atonement. That friend who brings someone to the meeting is actually acting in behalf of the Savior as an intercessor to kind of bridge the gap, to walk alongside that person, to say, okay, this is the way that we work out these kinds of problems.
0: There are quite a few groups in Utah. How easy is it to access an LDS version of this addiction recovery program throughout the world?
1: Okay, if you go onto the website arp.lds.org, you will find all the groups uh, throughout the world. You put in your location, they will and they will put it anywhere from a twenty-mile radius all the way up to a two-hundred-mile radius. And if there happens to not be a group in the area that you are at, then you access the mission president or the stake president who is over that region. But they, the cool thing is, I mentioned they have online meetings. So we've actually had soldiers on duty in Afghanistan who have accessed our meetings. Very cool. Which I think is phenomenal. Yeah. We've had one of those soldiers who actually showed up into one of our groups um, and said, you know, when I was in Afghanistan two years ago, this was how I, I I got the help that I needed. Now I get to come in person.
0: That's very cool. Yeah. One of the challenges that missionaries have is that they're 18, they're 19. And I would say, other than people like you in your situation, a vast majority of them never had an addiction to speak of. Yeah. So there is a language, in, a, in an experiential kind of language that people going through or administering to those that are addicted are maybe not very well versed at. What are some of the things? What are some of the terms? that a uh, a 19-year-old missionary needs to know when talking about these issues. Okay,
1: so we be very careful to label other people an addict. We just say, "Hey, you got a problem?" Yeah, I understand. I've got problems too. We find common ground and then common vernacular. So you're almost always safe using gospel vernacular. Okay. And you let the people in the meetings instruct them in how to use the the various verbiage and terminology, that will come naturally over time. I think the one thing is to have the mindset is there is not an us versus them. Okay, We are all us. So because I have his permission to use his name, one of my missionary companions in the addiction recovery program over the last few years is named Spencer (laughs) Kimball. He's actually the grandson of the prophet. Okay. When they first introduced me to him, they told me my new missionary companion is going to be Spencer Kimball. And I said, Oh, really? You resurrected a prophet because uh, I, I must be really in need of some special help here. Then <laughs> I turned around and realized that he is, they weren't joking, and he's an actual man about my age. We've become really good friends. And he said, It literally took him one meeting. He says, I want to go help those people. He's he's served in many church capacities. He's very very accomplished and articulate, but the most thing the thing I love most about Spencer is he is very real and authentic. It literally took him one meeting before he identified that there is no us versus them. We are all us. He says every one of us is in need of the atonement. Every one of us is in need of God's help. Otherwise, we will be separated from God when the judgment day comes. Does not matter if it's an addiction or an attitude or a behavior. We all need the atonement. He says if we come at if we come at this program from that angle, we will always be well served, and we will find the common ground with everyone else. So I really appreciate Spencer educating me in that particular point. I had to learn it the hard way. He (laughs) learned it the first time he came to a meeting, but he tells me that he's no different than me, even though he's never done drugs. And he is definitely one of my brothers and one of the people I most look up to.
0: So make sure that when you're speaking with anyone that you're kind of approaching with this idea... Don't make them feel that they're different. Yeah. Don't
1: talk down to them. Oh, you poor thing. Let's get you some help with that. (laughs) You know, um, people don't want to be preached at and they don't want to be made feel that they're less than. They already have that in spades if they really do have problems. We're here to lift people up. And a couple of the other missionaries who I've loved most over the years, they came to the program never having had any particular addictions, but they were challenged to find themselves in the program and find out how they were alike. And so she said, you know, I've had a weakness for chocolate all my life, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna avoid chocolate. I'm gonna see if I can deal with this. And he said, I've had a weakness with my temper. He says, I occasionally say things and do things that are not behooving a priesthood holder. And he says, and they don't fly with my wife either. <laughs> so they applied it to, their, to chocolate and to anger management and controlling their temper. And they were able to share with absolute authenticity after six months of working the steps of how they were in recovery from their weaknesses as well. Those are not little things because those things literally were causing them enough pain to separate them from the spirit. And I thought that was a great object lesson. Brother and Sister Jukes, if you're ever listening to this, and it was 22 years ago, thank you for teaching us that.
0: So we have, uh, again, this idea that um, we probably need to define addiction for people, or at least as under the umbrella of the program. Because, for example, I have issues with codependency. And it wasn't because my spouse was an alcoholic or anything like that, but she suffered from depression for a number of years. And for the longest time, I thought, I've got nowhere to go for this. The church doesn't have anything talking about codependency. There's been no general conference talk talking about this. Um, Even though I see it all over the place, I just didn't think there was a resource for it. And I read the introduction to the Addiction Recovery Manual. And realize that that's one of the things listed as something that the program was for. And so, what are what what can we throw under this umbrella of not maybe not just addiction, but p- things that people should reasonably expect to to deal with if they go into a program?
1: Wonderful topic and question, Nick. Um, you brought up the thing that is probably the biggest common ground for everyone. I personally believe that every alcoholic and addict is first a codependent, that almost everyone has some codependency, because we're not given a guide when we come to this earth of how to deal effectively with other people. And when I talked earlier about trying to fix my parents' broken marriage-
0: That was codependency.
1: That's codependency. Um, That's what set me up for addiction. All of us want to fix people that we love who are hurting, but- The boundaries for that are what define healthiness versus codependency, and we all struggle with that. So you'll be happy to know that just last month, they finally came out with the Family Support Guide. The companion is in printed form now. It's been online for a few years, but it's been finalized and approved by the church. It's the Family Support Guide, which deals principally with codependency. Excellent. And we have family support groups that meet co-concurrently throughout The world. Now, they don't have as many of them, but here in Utah, we have a lot uh, with the addiction recovery groups. And so the material is available online for that. And so this is the question I would ask of people Have you ever tried to fix your spouse, or wanted to help your kid with a problem and you don't know where the boundaries are, or wanted to? prove to your boss that you really are doing your job in the right way and you don't know the healthy way to stand up for yourself. Guess what? We have a program for you that will help you find out your part in all of these things. I think there's a lot of common ground here. For a missionary to know that this is one of the tools that can, I would guess you go into any elders quorum or any relief society and talk about trying to fix other people or occasionally feeling like you're not good enough and you feel less
0: than. Because you're not fixing people.
1: Yeah. You're going you're gonna to have a captive audience. So to be able to say, look, we have material for this. Not only material, but there's other people. And there's people that have worked the program long enough that they're even willing to be a support for you in this or even a sponsor for you in this. I think that's a wonderful mental health as well as spiritual health aid for all of us.
0: I'm actually in the process of writing a book called Codependent Discipleship. Oh, because I have gone through so much what I would call spiritual and emotional pain trying to fix this issue in myself. I know the word fix is a very yeah. complex word in this situation, but you know, trying to overcome that even to address it, we don't sure. even know the
1: guidelines to address it with sometimes.
0: Right. And as it's not a very common language in the church to speak of codependency because of what it originally came out as with alcoholics, you know, spouses of alcoholics. And, yeah. And it's broadened so much since then that we don't often recognize where those boundaries have been crossed and what triggers those boundaries to be crossed. I realized that as a missionary— I taught other missionaries how to be codependent because I thought that's how you were supposed to be a good missionary. Sure. And, and so there, there were a number of things that as I, as I came to be more educated on that subject, I realized how much that was throughout my own life. It sucks. It's painful. And while I wouldn't say that I know exactly what a chemical dependency is, I certainly know how it can absolutely wreck you to have some type of behavioral addiction that you can't make sense of and have very little ability to maintain a sense of composure in the middle of. It's its very painful. But here we are, you know, talking about, you know, everybody thinks, oh, well, I have to be an alcoholic, I have to be on heroin, I have to be on something to qualify, but that's not what this is about.
1: No, you're actually hitting a very important nail on the head an under-addressed issue that we have as in society as a whole and in the church in particular. And I'll give you a, for instance, uh, three weeks ago on Sunday night in a group, I, I've seen this mother come in with her son. The son is 18 to 20 and he's an alcoholic addict and she has come in and identified as the mom of an alcoholic and addict, but she is very articulate. And three weeks ago, she said something along these lines. She said, I've realized that it's not my place to fix my son. He gets to address his own issues. I get to learn how to be healthily supportive of him. And she says, that's not an easy thing. Not at all. And she says, and so I'm seeing a counselor and I told my counselor that I feel broken The counselor said, you need to stand up and fight for yourself and fix yourself. And she goes, how would you respond to that? And the spirit literally took over. And two or three of the responses that came were, sister, do you realize that uh, it's not displeasing for us to be broken in the Lord's eyes? that it's actually a commandment to come unto him with a broken heart and a contrite spirit. How can you have a broken heart unless you really are broken? And she had this look, a stunned look on her face. Somebody else brought up Kenneth Cope's song, Broken Things. The Lord loves broken things. Uh, Broken clouds bring rain. uh, Broken ground brings grain. The Lord wants us to be broken so that he can use us in appropriate ways. Cowboys even break their horses. They don't break the spirits of their horses, but they fit them to a higher and better use. So the Lord wants us to be broken in the sense that he can... That we submit to him completely and he can fit us to a higher and more productive and better use. So I don't know how to get there from here, but through the vehicle of the gospel and in particular these 12 steps, which tell us what is our part and what is God's part. And then we talk it out because one of the great truths that I've ever learned in my life was... I give credit to Neil Maxwell, although I've never been able to find it. I, I know I got this out of one of his talks that I heard him from 20 years ago. He says, if we will receive it, God will custom tailor and tutor each of us in our individual plan of salvation. Hmm. Now, I believe we all have the same plan of salvation in the big picture. The macro sense. The ma- But the micro sense, Nick's plan of salvation for today might mean reading 10 pages of the scriptures and Mark's micro plan for today might mean coming up and meeting with Nick after he's (laughs) prayed all the way there. And so the the Lord does custom tailor each of us individually, knowing what our particular circumstances are at any given time in our journey. And I love that truth. So the vehicle of having the 12 steps which are basically the steps of faith and repentance and of service, the 12th step, we keep what we have by giving it away so we, get, we continue in service. Now, that's not the whole gospel, but you can't live the whole gospel without having that as part of your framework, faith, repentance, and service. So, it becomes a really good vehicle so we can discuss any kind of a problem yeah. or anything that ails us.
0: Well, I know that this is, seems like a side topic, but the church has put out this self-reliance program that they've been asking every member to go through. Yes. Regardless of how stable you think you are, go through it. And everybody that's done it has found something of value value in it. But I was actually asked to give a talk on self-reliance, and it connects to addiction recovery because the principles of self-reliance that we often put in that framework of temporal things, there's quotes in there that talk about the principle of self-reliance as a prerequisite to the celestial kingdom, because if you cannot fully choose to give yourself to the Lord because there is something keeping you back, financial, whatever, you cannot fully surrender your life and consecrate your life until you are self-reliant. Yes, And, and I think in addiction recovery, you can ask yourself the question, what is it in my life that's not allowing me to fully choose to surrender to God, and that's what I can work on.
1: Yes. So you're talking 12-step truths right now. Yeah. The way they say it in AA is half measures avail us nothing. So a half commitment doesn't bring you 50% results it eventually brings you no results. You have to have full commitment. If there's something that is keeping you from fully embracing recovery, which slash is God, in my way of looking at things, you're going to always have this excuse, this back pocket escape that will keep you from ever realizing what God really has for you. I'll bring up one other thing since we're on that little bit of a tangent this is where I see the 12 steps as the bridge to full gospel activity because whatever it is that's keeping us separated from God and from f- church activity whether it's alcohol whether it's codependency whether it's drugs whatever it is if we address that and then use this as the as the stepping stone to fully engage in the gospel I think now we're realizing we're more fully realizing and actualizing what God intends for us. The 12 steps are not, they're just a vehicle. They're a tool. They're a mechanism to get us closer to God. And he wants us to continue. That's why in the ARP, there are actual steps in which they talk about, now you get your patriarchal blessing. Now you go to the temple. Uh, now you engage in service and whatever your bishop calls you to do. Yeah. And, and that's where I see some of the secular problems, uh, uh, programs fall a little short if it helps people to get active in their own churches i don't care what church it is it's serving a wonderful purpose but if aa becomes the church i don't know that that's fully pleasing to the lord right. and i know some of my friends in aa may disagree with me but i think i think we're we can't limit ourselves there we have to go all the way because like i said god is willing to remain anonymous but he wants us to get to know him yeah. And so at some point we're going to be able to call heavenly father Elohim and we're going to be able to call our savior Jesus and if we haven't got to that point and then are continuing on and doing whatever they ask we're self-limiting. And so the only reason I bring that up is I I don't want people to think that we should be content just getting clean and sober. Getting clean and sober That's is a, pretty a wonderful big deal. thing. Yeah. It's a wonderful thing. But the the saying in AA is, it's very, see, AA is so spiritually in tune. The founders of AA, uh, Bill W. and Dr. Bob, began the program through a concerted study of the New Testament, especially the Sermon on, Mount, Sermon on the Mount and the Book of James. They said, it was, the old saying is, uh, what do you get when you, Sober up a drunken horse thief, a horse thief. You got to keep working on, you have to keep working on your character defects. You have to go all the way. It's not enough just to get sober. You have to go all the way that God intends to have a full spiritual awakening. And that's why I love the program because I have seen so many people have that full spiritual awakening I can't even count the number of people I've been able to go to the temple with, see get baptized in the program, see their children get sealed to them. We have people in the program who have now been called as bishops who came from the same background that I came from. Wow! We have a woman called as the Relief Society president who five years ago was a full-blown addict, and now she's in full-blown service.
0: (laughs) So we have maybe some advice to someone preparing to serve their mission that we might be able to give, and that is maybe become acquainted at least with the program. Read the guide maybe as part of your study and preparation.
1: Get the guide and just read over it so you at least have a conversational ability about the basics because more than likely by the time you get through high school, you're going to know one or two of your friends who have had problems couple of years into college, you're going to know a whole bunch more of that (laughs) problem. And as you get older in your life, you're going to find more and more that this will be a tool that you will be able to expose other people to as you would want to do for anybody you consider a brother or sister. And whether it hits home for you or not, isn't it wonderful to have something that will help improve someone else's life down the road? Yeah. So have at least a conversational ability, attend a group or two. We have people that come in all the time. They're, UVU or BYU students down there in Utah Valley because they want to know what the program has, because they want to be able to use it in their in their studies and in their careers. But we also have people that are prospective missionaries that come and we think, oh, he's trying to get rid of an addiction before he goes on his mission. Oh, half the time, that's not the case. They want to know what the program is about because they've seen it affect other people and they want to be the most effective missionary possible. Yeah. And we we love having visitors come to the groups.
0: One of the things that I learned in doing my service for LDS Family Services and you know, I wasn't a therapist. I was just helping make videos to train other therapists, but I came to learn and meet people like yourself in that process where I was able to see just how powerful the atonement is and i i don't mean this literally but in some ways i almost became envious of their relationship to god their their knowledge and experience with the atonement seemed so powerful to to these individuals that i didn't want to say i wanted an addiction to <laughs> so that i could know it for myself but these meetings are incredible the system and the the program is inspired and necessary as part of the world in which we live. It needs to be there. It needs to be used. There are so many people that need it.
1: Beautifully put, Nick. I would invite anyone to come to one of our meetings with a prayerful and a humble heart, asking God what it is that he wants him or her to know, and then come and experience what the atonement in action is is like in those meetings because there is food for you there is spiritual food for you that will improve your life as well as being some a tool that you can take to the lives of others and you will come to experience the atonement in ways that perhaps you never had before. Now, I don't think you have, I really agree with you. You don't have to be an alcoholic or an addict to experience that. You came as in someone who has never had an active addiction in your life, and yet you experienced, and I'm, I'm being very careful in how I phrase this, but the only places that I experience these kinds of feelings in their intensity are in a few occasional sacrament meetings and gospel doctrine classes and Sunday school classes in which people truly bear their souls and in the temples and in these 12-step rooms. They are as sacred of meetings as any as I've been in my life.
0: Agreed. Well, we'll definitely put links to resources, the guide. We're even going to embed your video that the church made. <laughs> oh, on your life. And uh, that way people can have that to go watch and and hopefully share. But this is a message of hope. It's not a message of shame in any way. It's a message of hope and change. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to uh, have this story shared. But these resources are part of the gospel that missionaries should be out there bringing to people to, to help improve their lives.
1: Well, thank you for having me today, Nick. Uh, Much love to you, my brother, and thank you for your service. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to this two-part episode of the LDS Mission Cast. I want to thank Mark Miner again for coming in and telling this story. And I have to tell you, this is a story that Mark has told before. And it is still powerful. It is still potent. And it's still very emotional because it speaks so highly of the power of Jesus Christ's atonement and the, his power as our Savior. We want to encourage people to go to the posting of this episode as well as part one's episode as there are some great links to the addiction recovery program as well as some videos and things that are going to be great resources for you when you're going out and ministering to one another. Remember, the Addiction Recovery Program is a very underutilized tool in the Missionary Toolkit. This is one of those things that we don't often think about as something that is an open possibility for people to experience the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it is absolutely powerful. It is life-changing. It is so powerful, the spirit that are at these meetings, that I encourage you to go to a meeting just to go and see how they are. They will welcome you, and they will welcome the people that you are ministering to. You can do so with great confidence that they will have a powerful and a wonderful experience with the Spirit, and as a result, grow in their love and appreciation of their Savior, Jesus Christ. I leave my witness with you that the Addiction Recovery Program is inspired of God. It can be the means of bringing many people under the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I leave that testimony with you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.